I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast as we roll on into June. The countdown to kickoff is underway on lines247.com. We did this last summer. We're going with it again. Feels certainly a bit different as we count down the days, but as we record here on a Tuesday morning, it is at 95 days until Penn State is scheduled to host Kent State in Beaver Stadium, uh, and, and that one is certainly something that Sean and I both hope we are in the, st- in the press box for watching some football happen. We shall see, but Sean... Either way, it's nice to be moving towards that direction. I, I just, you know, like I said, it's a different feel to it this year. Every day is is a step closer to what we're looking for, and that's that's football. That's guys returning to campus. That's uh, you know, hopefully with with things trending the way they are in in that aspect, um, you you think that you you know you just keep getting closer and closer and closer, and you know, it'd be nice to uh, it'd be a welcome distraction. It'd be a nice. Uh, little uh, splash of football and we got that on Monday with uh, with Damian Barber putting out that he's entering the transfer porter uh, excuse me transfer portal I'm not drinking this early in the morning sorry <laughs> um, he, uh, he put that out on Monday afternoon of course are gonna be a red shirt junior sort of buried on the depth chart I think we closed the um, the uh, the podcast last week talking a little defensive tackle we mentioned we Barber did. and we're just wondering if he'd ever break out and you know the answer is no and that's just kind of the way it goes sometimes he was a fairly heralded prospect an early commitment for Penn State uh, back in the in the class of 2017 but uh, you know really had had good tape he looked to, to, to be the I guess the blueprint for what we're looking for Hakeem Beeman to be in that defensive end that eventually grows into a defensive tackle is disruptive, just never happened. And that's uh, it's been a surprise to some people in the building because he was a guy that before last season, he was listed as the backup uh, to Robert Windsor, looked as a guy that could be that uh, a disruptive force, kind of a different style than Windsor and, and uh, Antonio Shelton, sort of the hold him up guys where Barber could get after the quarterback. He, you know, he had a tremendous career at Harrisburg High. Um, you know, did a lot of things on tape that that looked like they could translate to the college game, and they just didn't. I know he's he's had some issues off the field. Was suspended for the Idaho game, uh, the season opener last year, but uh, really just seemed like he would be on the verge, and then just fizzled out. Didn't happen, and. Um, not sure what his next step is, but uh, he's going to have some opportunities. I, I would guess at a lower, uh, I say lower level. It's kind of muddy right now in terms of, you know, is he an FCS kid? Is he a non-Power 5 kid? Uh, you know, Harrisburg sent some guys uh, to, to some certain spots. Iowa State's been a, a spot where they've, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, congregated at times. So it's just, uh, he's got, he's going to have some options. It's just, I just, I mean, it never happened for him at this level. 
A four-star composite prospect coming out of Harrisburg, uh, top 10 talent in the state of Pennsylvania. And as you said, that transition from defensive end to defensive tackle, Beeman, the latest example there. Judge Culpepper has undergone that. Culpepper has apparently surpassed him on the depth chart. We heard that last year during the season. Off-season conversations so far indicated that Culpepper is a player on the rise out of that 2018 class. And, and when you look at the 2017 cycle, um, you've got Fred Hansard, you've got Damian Barber, you've got Corey Bolds among that defensive line group. Uh, of course, Ethor Gross Matos turned into a star for Penn State, uh, now off to the NFL as a second-round pick. But you look at the defensive line class there, Sean. Fred Hanser dealt with injuries his second year on campus. I thought he had a nice rebound season last year. He's certainly going to be a part of that rotation uh, in 2020. But uh, Bolds was pretty quick t- to move on uh, from Happy Valley. Uh, be- and then also you've got uh, uh, one that, that certainly was a bit perplexing in terms of uh, his size and, and where he was going to fit. Uh, and that's, uh, of course, the name is expa- Braylon Franklin. Uh, had a little trouble coming up with the name. Uh, played a little defensive end, was projected there. He ends up transferring to a lower level of, of college football. So that defensive line class. You well, know, Franklin was was set to be a linebacker, and that just it would not take. I mean, it's just one of those guys where, um, you know, you've got some physical capabilities, and you know, just couldn't handle, um, you know, the, the the defense really, and that just never really took. And he moved to defensive end, uh, you know, spent some time away from the team, and I think he transferred to a school in Texas, which he's originally from Texas, so it's not a complete surprise, but uh, really not uh, really not much traction there. Uh, Hansard's a guy that I, I agree with you. I, I think he had a nice bounce back year last year. He's the type of player that unless he's putting up stats you're just not going to notice him but even if you don't notice him I think he's he's doing a decent job in there um, you know probably set to be the third defensive tackle for this team this year so you got uh, obviously you got the boom with uh, with Itor Gross Matos you, you got the solid with Fred Hansard you got the the, the bust uh, no no uh, uh, offense intended there but you got the bust with Damian Barber who's a four-star kid uh, you know like I said we, we really liked him at 24-7 sports it just did not take and you know I guess that's what you'll have and uh, I, I, you can add Corey Bolds in there it, it was apparent very very early in his career that he would not be on the the, the boom uh, schedule so um, yeah it's been uh, it's been an interesting ride for that 2017 class which coincidentally of course we talk about that 2018 class kind of coming in and swallowing that a lot of that 2017 class so that group of defensive tackles in 2017 right behind it you've got uh, Judge Culpepper and PJ Mustafer coming in behind it in the 2018 class and that's uh, you know just fi- frankly they've been better. Yeah, and and now you're seeing you know the, a, a bit of a gap there where we're talking about some of the fifth year seniors, Antonio Shelton, Shaka Tony, uh, Shane Simmons involved there, and then there's kind of you, you, then you all of a sudden veer quite young. You've, uh, you know, Jason Oway is an older guy in the room at this point as a redshirt sophomore, and where we're expecting second year players like a uh, Adiza Isaac or an Akeem Beeman or a Smith Vilbert to really make that impact. So uh, a bit of a gap there in terms of what you're looking at in the defensive line room. A lot of numbers we've talked about this Sean the defensive tackle situation they've put a lot of numbers there Uh, some have produced others we're waiting on uh, and and then there's there's kind of a category where we don't really expect a a player to to make a difference in 2020 maybe even beyond Um, and it's something that was going to have to shape up for for this roster uh, in terms of scholarship numbers We, we discussed how the lack of spring practice may have postponed that attrition a bit um, you know, in your mind here, is this just one of those uh, kind of 
kind of inevitable situations where a defensive tackle was going to move on. Damian Barber, you know, certainly seemed to be a, a strong candidate there to, to be that defensive tackle, but it, it kind of kind of had to end this way, didn't it? With a, with it's that not, room. Something had to give, and that's the. I think that's the line we we keep saying with that defensive tackle room. They had eleven on campus for the spring. Uh, there was more set to come this uh, this summer. You've got guys that are you know making that transition from defensive end to defensive tackle, and that's sort of the end of the line. You can't go any further than defensive tackle. So um, that's uh, that's one of those situations where something had to give. I still think there's more um, to do there. I mean, you don't you don't want to speculate names and stuff because it's uh, you know it's uh, not not. Uh, uh, proper to the kid, but uh, yeah, there's you look over that name, and there's going to be guys that that never eventually play at Penn State, and that's uh, an, an unfortunate reality of the situation. But it's so unbalanced right now. I mean, you're thinking what uh, 12 scholarship defensive tackles out of 85 total, you know, and, and defensive tackles an important position. Don't get me wrong, but uh, when you're taking that percentage, and I'm not a math guy, but that's that's a high percentage of players at one position. That's uh, you know sort of asking for it. So I think they're going to have to ramp down. We talked about the uh the 2021 class you know only looking for one in this class and that's you know that's not an absolute necessity now i think the the position that they're in you know they can take one and feel pretty good about it but still that's uh that's a lot to think about when you're talking about that kind of number for the the limitations that you're on so it, it's an it's an interesting case study when you talk about overemphasizing a position and it's going to be tough for penn state to turn down guys along both lines you know that that that's one of the blueprints that got you know Clemson where they were at Alabama where they were at uh, these, these these playoff schools where they were at but at the same time uh, sometimes you overcompensate for that we we've seen bad luck in recruiting defensive tackles for years at Penn State we've seen just whatever could go wrong has gone wrong and you know maybe that's worn off on the staff and the, and they say okay we're gonna take uh, an extra guy or two here and then it's going to create a log jam down the line. That's something that will work itself out. The numbers always work themselves out. Penn State, I think, at 86 scholarships right now for the, the 2020 season. So a lot closer than I think a lot of people forecasted a couple of months ago. And it's still a long way until they play football again. So, you know, something's got to give. Uh, I, I, I've looked at the defensive tackle position as the spot where that would happen. And I still think that there's, you know, the, there's more that can happen on that defensive line. And in a room with that many guys, a position with that many guys, you certainly want to anticipate. You can, you know, look at a, th- a strong three deep. Still seeing how that's going to shape out. It doesn't help not to have the spring ball because there is a, a large crop of young players there. Akeem Beeman continues to be front and center. You got Joseph Darkwa uh, out of Germany, who was a really intriguing prospect now in his second year. And uh, we'll see what happens there. But uh, it certainly sounds like Fred Hansard, uh, George Culpepper, uh, among those guys to really watch beyond that starting lineup, which we expect to be PJ Mustafer and Antonio Shelton. Mentioned that 2017 recruiting class on the defensive line. Some misses, the big hit with Yitor Grossmatos. Nine of 21 signees from the 2017 class are no longer on this Penn State roster. Who knows if that list will expand uh, before the season actually kicks off, but seven of them left before their on-field roles really materialized. Uh, you can throw Damian Barber into that mix. And then the other two of those nine were KJ Hamler, Yitor Grossmatos, guys who made a big impact in a Penn State uniform 
uh, left eligibility on the table and were selected in the second round of the 2020 NFL draft. So their story worked out well. But uh, for the other seven guys, uh, you know, Matt Kippenhammer logged a start, I believe, or two during his career. Um, but outside of him, there's not a lot of things you can point to and evidence of, of what guys did on the football field. Um, you know, and those left from that class are playing important roles across the field. You, you can you know, point to a lot of guys in that group, whether it's Tariq Castro Fields, uh, you got Sean Clifford as your starting quarterback. You go down the line here, CJ Thorpe's a starter, um, Jonathan Sutherland's a special teams captain, um, and Donovan Johnson, we'll see what he can do at cornerback. Mike Miranda is, is fighting for his starting job. Cam Sullivan Brown's still a bit of a mystery at wide receiver. Injuries played a role there. Des Holmes, uh, one of your next guys in on that offense line getting experience at multiple positions and by the way uh, among the guys still left on campus the lowest rated member of that recruiting class journey brown some people think he may be a top five running back in college football this year so there was a big hit at the bottom of the class but sean to have 12 guys out of 21 left uh three years later uh, not ideal you know, it's not ideal, but I'm looking over it, and that I think that number sounds worse than it is because you've got uh, Gross Matos and Hamler that have gone to the draft. Um, so you take out two, and, and that's two thirds of the class right there, fourteen uh, or whatever, and, and you're still getting uh, contributions from a lot of those guys. You've got guys that uh, may be on the precipice of stepping up, like an Ellis Brooks. Um, you know, it, 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 I don't think it's a complete wash or anything like that. You you had a couple of guys very early that it became apparent that they wouldn't be those guys. I mean, you had, uh, I mentioned Bolds already, um, DJ Brown, I mean, Rob Martin was as out of place as any offensive lineman. And it, uh, again, not trying to offend anybody, but he was as out of place as any offensive lineman that Penn State has signed under James Franklin. So that's three right off the bat. Um, you know, the, you've had injuries at some spot. Braylon Faze and Walden didn't, wa- didn't work out as well. So, I mean, it's just, uh, it, I don't want to call it a snake bitten class. I mean, 12 out of 21 that are still here still competing a bunch of those guys starting you know it's it's, it seems about average you got a starting quarterback out of that class you've got uh you know a couple of defensive leaders in that class so i don't think it's it's complete the completely the wash um that you mentioned except you know you had a bunch of guys that came in with that class that never even saw the field i mean that's that's the thing i I think think. it's just there's not much of it there's a bunch of in between or excuse me there's not much in between i was talking to to don't about some classes and you talk about their their top level guys and then there's the bottom level guys it's like filling out a, a rotisserie you know fantasy roster where you spend a lot of money on some of these top guys and then you just kind of have to have to fill in and hope that something happens at the bottom and you know they got a lot from journey brown second late second lowest guy in the class behind uh, above dj brown looking at the composite rankings right now um but uh yeah i mean it's it's there's a lot that went on in that 2017 class and i mentioned that 2018 class right behind him surely didn't help things for them yeah and you're right I mean a name I forgot to mention there the top the top rated guy in this class Lamont Wade gonna be a second year starter at safety and it it feels like all these guys are for the most part either starters team leaders or they're gone and 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 they really didn't make a mark beyond the the practice squad and you know a few guys maybe fall somewhere in the middle uh, Fred Hansard Sutherland, although he has been a, a very much valuable on the special teams aspect, but yeah, I, I just you know I think that's what stands out a little bit. Some of these names, you know, I started covering the team in 2017. Some of these guys were were not around very very long uh, in terms of when I got to campus to when they were gone. So uh, they made quick decisions, and you want to talk about snake bit? And I still look at that 2018 class.
class. What happened to Jordan Minor and Nana Asedu, two blue chip prospects at cornerback and offensive tackle, respectively, before their careers began? Different, you know, heart conditions pop up, they can't play. That's a completely different scenario that the 2018 class encountered. Whereas here, uh, you know, I think it was. You know, one of those things where staff gets guys on campus and within a year, year and a half, it doesn't look like it's in the cards for them. And we'll see where it goes. It certainly can't say this class is a miss overall. Already mentioned the NFL draft picks, and there are definitely more NFL draft picks out of this group upcoming. Um, moving on to the 2021 recruiting class. There's a lot going on still, and a bit of a repeat of what we talked about on the last episode. Uh, some interesting developments coming Penn State's way, not of the positive fashion as players dwindle their list, narrow focus for a commitment. Uh, one popping up on Monday evening was Donovan McMillan, top 10 prospect in the state of Pennsylvania. We got bumped up to four-star status this spring by 24-7 Sports at the safety position out of Peters Township. He is down to, I think, what is it, five teams? Five schools. Five yeah. schools. Penn State is not one of them. Uh, scale of one to five, Sean, how surprising is this development? I would say a three for McMillan. Um, you know, it's been an interesting recruitment in that Penn State was kind of late to the party because really weren't completely sold on him as he continued to build up these offers. And he got a fantastic offer list altogether. And I think uh, uh, Virginia Tech, Oregon, Oklahoma, uh Florida, I think one of those Texas A&M is on that list. Um, it's it's an interesting recruitment because when you have a guy, um, you know, anywhere whose list of favorites is that spread out, it's 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 an eye catcher because you don't know really what they're looking for um, in a school. I mean, maybe he's been looking to go away the whole time. I I don't really get that vibe, but it's just uh, it's been an interesting recruitment to follow. I, I'm on record is saying that I'm a big, you know, a proponent of Derek Davis against Donovan McMillan since we linked these guys together. But it's just been a really interesting one to follow because it seems like there's been a bunch of schools and, you know, talk to coaches all across the country that, you know, like what he brings to the table. I think we like him a little bit more on the scouting side. So that's been interesting to follow. It's just uh, unique. But but nonetheless, put, putting all that aside, he's an in-state kid that Penn State was pursuing. They would take him right now, absolutely. And they missed out on him, which is not a good look. It's not, uh, you know, regardless of, of where they're at, uh, you know, on the personal board, when you take some of those things into account, especially the way that they're, they're sort of seemingly struggling right now to to stay in it with some guys, uh, that that's a hit. So I'm, I'm curious to see which direction this one goes, um, you know. I, obviously, it doesn't look good for Penn State right now, but uh, this is a guy that's been really all over the map in terms of uh, feeling out that recruiting process. So mildly surprised. I said on the board um, yesterday or the day before that, you know, you could make an argument that 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 a lot of his schools in his top 10 were going to make his top five. And you could also make that same argument against some of those schools, including Penn State. And it seems like that's the way that it went. Yeah, top 10 safety now in 24-7 sports rankings, number seven at the position. A lot of love for him from our rankings council. And I think this should be considered a tough pill to swallow for Penn State fans because you do look at this top five that he put out. It is Texas A&M, Florida, Oregon, Oklahoma, Virginia Tech. I mean, being on any list with a school like Oklahoma at this point, you know, they're, they're perennially in the college football playoff. Oregon seems to be landing on every list as well. I think it's, you know, for a Penn State fan, it's got to be tough to see Virginia Tech getting that nod. Texas A&M seems to be a school getting a lot of love in the region, despite the fact that they have not really made an ascension in the SEC under Jimbo Fisher to this point. 
Um, it's an interesting one. He's got 50 plus offers. A lot of them came in a hurry. I just, you know, I'm personally quite surprised, you know, whether or not some of these teams are window dressing and he had plenty of window dressing to pick out for a top five if he chose um, to to not see Penn State on that list. uh, To me, you know, it's a bit it's a bit surprising. And and I think when you look across this Pennsylvania scene, we talked about it quite in depth, I think a week or two ago, um, you know, who's going to end up at Penn State out of the state of Pennsylvania among these top players? You know, Lonnie White right now committed to Penn State at number 11 in the composite Pennsylvania prospect rankings. Above him, you know, you still think Elliot Donald probably going to end up at Pitt. Uh, Tysheem Johnson's not going to be at Penn State unless things change in a drastic way. Donovan McMillan apparently is heading out. And then the other, you know, the other two that you're looking at, Derek Davis, who now becomes furthermore of a priority at safety at a gateway. He was the initial offer of the 2021 recruiting class. And Nolan Rucci at number one. And I think a lot of people uh, saw that Steve Wiltfong put in a, a pick for Wisconsin in the crystal ball for Rucci, where his older brother plays. You are still steadfast with your crystal ball pick for Penn State or, or, or that projection at this point. I know you've mentioned a couple times. Uh, but, but, you know, for a team that is in the top 10, finishing in the top 10, doing things over a four year span at Penn state that hasn't been done in 25 years, I think deservedly. So the expectations among the fan base and the way James Franklin has proven to be as a recruiter, they should be headed, set at a higher bar, a higher standard than, than what we're seeing, uh, actually produced here in the 2021 cycle, I believe. Oh, no doubt about it. And that, that's been, it's just been body blows for the last, uh, I, I mean, it's been not even a month since Penn State's last commitment, but with so little going on outside and so much going on at other spots, I mean, you fo- you follow Bud Elliott, you get the daily update of there's 800 and some uh, college commitments right now. Um, you know, I said last night on Twitter that 2021 is going to be three cycles in one because you're going to have the, the the original commitment. You're usually going to have the decommitment, then you're going to have the, uh, the, the race at the end that is is, I think is going to be fascinating. But um, back to McMillan, I, just, there's so many things here that just scream shutdown because you look at his list and he hasn't visited these schools. No. I mean, and that's something we've seen from a couple people so far is the schools that they're familiar with, the schools that they visit, which are usually on that list and usually the pick, you know, based off of actions versus words and all that, th- all that kind of stuff. Uh, but you're putting schools that you visited that have you know you've you've taken the time to go out of your way to to go visit. You're casting them off to the side for you know you mentioned Oregon's on a lot of these lists, Texas A&M's on a lot of these lists. It's it's almost like instead of a list of finalists or a list of schools, you're looking at the list of schools that you eventually want to visit based on the information that you've already gathered from the schools that you have visited. And that's and that's been something that's been hurting Penn State. While on the flip side, Penn State not getting the kids that haven't visited, like Maliki Montevallo and and Jack Pugh. Right, I think, and I think in the case of Montevallo, completely separate circumstances, and, and we've talked about that. But yeah, you're kind of saying, well, I thought this was a two way street. Montevallo doesn't doesn't visit us; he puts us in the top five. Uh, pick somewhere else. You gotta, you know, gotta take that. I think what's more concerning than McMillan and and Dante Thornton not ultimately committing to Penn State in December or wherever they announce is that. At this point, they're telling the, the 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 world that they're not considering Penn State in June, and that's five six months ahead of their commitment. I think that's more alarming than the fact that they wouldn't ultimately end up in, in Happy Valley. Both of those guys have had butts in the bleachers at Beaver Stadium, been on campus. Uh, you know, th- there's a regional tie there, and 
yet with McMillan, you're seeing schools like Texas A&M and Virginia Tech on that list. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's a bit perplexing. And, uh, we have, neither of us have spoken to Donovan McMillan about that. And and usually you're not going to get a a prospect to talk about schools that they left off their list. But I'm certainly curious about that one. I'm curious about the the Dante Thornton one. And now I think whenever a player says they're going to cut their list down to four or five schools, you can't assume much right now in this cycle. And at the same time, how many of these do you possibly you know, circle and stash and, and say, well, we'll see what happens later if visits get going again. Does Penn State make a move? Does Penn State do something with Matavao or here or even Lord Thor- Thornton back to campus? I don't know. And it's hard to predict because I certainly would not have anticipated that Penn State was going to be off this list, just like I didn't think they were going to be left out of the mix for Thornton at this stage. Again, six months or so prior to the actual commitments taking place. And, and there's no formula for it, too. I mean, it's, it is it is obviously a case-by-case basis, which recruiting is, but there's no real, you know, formula for it because uh, we look at George Wilson out of Virginia, the, you know, one of the top defensive ends on Penn State's board does have Penn State in his top four that came out on Monday, also including North Carolina, Arizona State, and South Carolina. North Carolina just recently offered and obviously has made a push. North Carolina also makes the push for Tony Grimes. And we go back to there being no formula. Tony Grimes has probably visited Penn State more than anybody else. Now all of a sudden they're they're left out of things. So it's uh it, it's weird, man. It's uh and I don't think there's anything that you can pinpoint that, you know, it has quote unquote gone wrong with this stuff, but it's just uh it's it's piling up and that's that's concerning. It's piling up and and there you go. Tony Grimes, uh, you know, if, if you didn't get enough of this conversation, you know, Grimes is a guy who visited in February, visited in December, has been to games, got up to campus with dad, made sure mom saw campus. Uh, good reviews from parents. Brian Doan has been all over this, and it, it went from you know midwinter, late midwinter. It felt like Penn State was you know jockeying for, for, for position at the forefront of this recruitment. Uh, then you know official visits going to happen in October. He's going to commit in December. You know, Penn State figures to be at least a hat on the table for the nation's number one cornerback, the number seven overall recruit in composite rankings. And then it goes to, well, is Penn State actually maybe on the fringe of this you know list he's going to put out going from eight schools to four schools on May 31st? And turns out they they were on that fringe or or they were on the outside uh, looking in because he puts out those four schools yesterday, uh, North Carolina and Georgia uh, splitting the crystal ball picks at this stage in his recruitment. North Carolina, hell of a run for them so far in the 2021 cycle and at some stages to the expense of Penn State. Um, and, and now official visit, I assume, is not happening anymore, Sean. Yeah, it sounds like uh, Tony Grimes is going to move up that decision. He talked about December, and that just seemed to uh, you know it draws on longer and longer the more that uh, we're in, we're in the shutdown. So yeah, I uh, I see North Carolina in this one. I think Dre Bly has had um, kind of a, a ridiculous uh, uh, presence on the trail. Is I mean, what he's, he's having. Yeah, it's uh, it's been crazy to think about that. And then when you talk about uh, George Wilson as well, the defensive end from from Virginia that has North Carolina in his top group. I mean. Penn State, we talked about, I think we said it last week, Penn State, you know, shouldn't be feeling the heat from North Carolina at football. You know, if it's basketball, it's a different story. Um, but that's uh, that's where we're at right now. That's where uh, that's where momentum takes you. And uh, that's kind of what uh, where things stand. And, and, you know, made the top six for Omari and Cooper in Florida. Florida's an interesting uh, case study because you, you can't get guys to campus right now and you won't be able to get guys to campus for a while. And then you have to deal with you know, getting those guys up during their bye week or getting those guys up when it when it suits them for an official and it suits your schedule 
schedule when you're home. So uh, Florida is, is a spot that's going to take a hit. We talked, to, I talked about that in my trimmings on Monday. You've got a couple of prospects that uh, you know I expect to take official visits, but really the pool has just shrunk because of the circumstances. And now that's it's Florida, so the pool might open, you know relatively uh, easier than some other spots around the country because, you know, when you talk to e-commit season regularly, you talk about Florida. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's going to be a tough one to, to to get some momentum in there. And then finally, Kyron Montgomery uh, out of Indianapolis uh, has Penn State in his top six. Visited last year. Defensive end, obviously, a spot of need. Uh, Montgomery wasn't a name that we've heard a ton in terms of Penn State being active, but uh, they, did, they, they did put an offer on the table when Sean Spencer was still here. I think he stays in the Midwest. I think Minnesota is probably the team to beat right now for Montgomery. Um, but uh, yeah, there's uh, no, other than that, not uh, other than all that, not much going <laughs> yeah. on. Uh, yeah, the flip of, of Rodney McGraw the first weekend of May uh, from the Indiana Hoosiers out of Indiana, now in the mix for another Indiana prospect. Last cycle signing Cole Brevard, defensive tackle out of Indiana, who was considered the state's top player in the composite rankings. We'll see what they do with Montgomery. As Sean mentioned, George Wilson, uh, who was very near the top of the defensive target board uh, that, that Sean put up just a couple of weeks ago, keeps Penn State in that mix, changing of pace of our conversation in his top four this week. Uh, all that content, I think he caught up with Brian Doan. Uh, that's up on lines 247com right now. By the way, just one more thought on, on you know, McMillan and Grimes, and now we throw in uh, Omari and Cooper, the the defensive back out of Florida and a lack of f- formula to go off of on how these decisions are made. There's a lot of spots in the field where you say, well, it's a new position coach for Penn state. A lot of them on offense and, and or defensive line. You say, well, those, those connections, those relationships, how do you start to really establish them, build on them when you can't do campus visits, a coach can't walk into the high school, they can't meet face to face, all that stuff going on right now. What is again, adding to the bizarre nature of what we're seeing here, you know, Terry Smith, Tony Banks, and that defensive backfield, they are veterans with this program. Smith's been on board since Franklin got to town. Banks has been on board since 2016. And and yet we're seeing, you know, cornerback and, and, and safety be as unpredictable as any positions uh, in this 2021 cycle. So I, I think that's just kind of another layer to look at here is you think you can probably hang your hat on some positions because of the leadership that's in place there and the stability that's been in place for the program. And yet here we are with a couple of these conversations. Uh, we're going to take a quick ad break. Uh, we'll come back with an interesting, bold prediction out of tw- uh, 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Analyst about Penn State and maybe a path to the national championship. Additionally, five-star mailbag time coming your way in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Look at your calendar and you will see we are now under 100 days until Penn State is set to kick off the season against Kent State. Uh, that is set for September 5th in Beaver Stadium. We've got our countdown going online 24-7. Uh, each day we match the, the days with a player who wears that jersey number. If there's not a current player who's really applicable to that conversation, we focused on one from the past at Penn State. For example, number 95 today, going to Cole Brevard, the freshman defensive tackle out of Indiana. Let's put the spotlight on him. 99 was Itor Grossmatos, uh, and so it goes. As we continue to see those days dwindle, we're going to see more pieces like the one uh, Brandon Marcello put up, uh, a national analyst with 24-7 Sports. He put together 25 bold predictions for the 2020 football season. A lot of them uh, were related to to you know not, not just what's going on on the field, but everything that's happening off of the field. It's a really interesting read, and you got to go all the way down toward the bottom. I'm glad you, you bookmarked it for me, Sean. He makes the bold prediction that the winner of the Ohio State versus Penn State matchup set to take place in Happy Valley this fall will not just win the Big Ten championship, but win the national championship. Um, you know, I think we're seeing a lot of love for Ohio State as a national champion. Occasionally, you'll see Penn State uh, mentioned as a team that would be one of the four playoff teams. I think that would qualify as a bold statement saying that the winner of that game ultimately takes the biggest trophy of them all. You, th- you think? <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, fit, that, I read it. that fits the qualification. I read it, and uh, he mentioned Penn State as a national championship contender earlier in the, in the story. I'm like, okay, I can, I can buy that. And then, uh, you know, I get to the end, and it's like, okay, winner take all or something like that. And obviously, that's, you know, a, a very simplified version of his words because uh, Brandon Marcella, by the way, recently elevated uh, from our Auburn site to do national stuff, does some fantastic work. I do definitely recommend that you follow him uh, on Twitter. He's he, he's done some really good stuff lately. Um, but now it's uh, to, to, to make that leap. And, and I get where he's coming from. I mean, you've got a, a Penn State team that's won a lot of games in the last couple of seasons. And that roadblock and that, uh, you know, that big sort of uh, ginormous speed bump that's ahead of you is and has been Ohio State. And that's you get them at home this year. You get them supposedly in a whiteout. We don't know what that whiteout's going to look like. But, you know, the the chips kind of fall your way every other year with Ohio State because you've got an opportunity. You're one of the few schools that has um, or one, one of the few programs that has run with Ohio State in the past uh, five years. Um, but you've got a shot to beat them when they when they come to your house. And uh, unfortunately, the circumstances may dictate what, uh, you know, what the whiteout will look like this year. But still, that's a, a very tough place to play. Penn State's been extremely, um, uh, you know, very, you know, they've been very good at home the last couple of years. And and you'd like to see that roll over if you're a Penn State fan. So so I see where they're coming. I mean, Penn State, uh, you look at the, what they've done against Ohio State, playing them better than anybody over the last couple of years. And, you know, what comes together, where they have their experience in certain spots, what Ohio State has to do to replace some, some spots. And I still, you know, Ohio State's the favorite in the Big Ten. I don't think there's any question about it. But still, there's a lot of things that, that could go Penn State's way this way. And, you know, it, sometimes all it takes is one huge win. Sometimes all it takes is, is is one close loss and you're in or you're out. So I think I can see where Brandon Marcel is going with this. Um, you know, if Penn State would hit its stride and, you know, play a great game and, and, and beat Ohio State, they certainly would deserve to be right in that mix. This has been, you know, the feels like the marquee matchup uh, really emerging in the Big Ten on an annual basis. You know, a couple of years ago, you had Michigan uh, really making a, a genuine push toward the college football playoff. But beyond that, 
Uh, oftentimes that that it's it's more about the history of Ohio State, Michigan, and also people really like tuning in to watch the wheels fall off for Jim Harbaugh, and that's been a, a blowout. And it is uh, a ratings uh, bonanza when that happens, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> um, but in terms of Penn State, Ohio State, highly competitive. You know, last year. I got to give Penn State a lot of credit. We talked about it on the postgame podcast. We were both in the stadium in Columbus last year for that matchup. And, and Penn State was pretty well dead and buried, it felt like, early on in that game. Sean Clifford was extremely hobbled. And, you know, they started piecing things together. They showed a lot of fight. And they made things interesting going into that fourth quarter. But the previous two years, you want to talk about situations where Urban Meyer what was really, you know, uh, you know, had had was, you know, he was totally taken across the coals in some I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, it, 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 you don't. And I'm see sure. That. I'm sure our listeners want to re- recall those <laughs> games. Oh my gosh, you look back, uh, yeah. and especially that 2017 game. How much that just, uh, you know, you, you get that win in your pocket, and we're having maybe you know you don't you don't want to pin it on one game but maybe we're having different conversations now but yeah you're right this is this is this is the team Penn State has been the team that's made Ohio State coach differently you know they've they've made them approach games differently and that says something about you know how close they've been but of course you got to push that across the board and you you know ideally you want to do that at home I mean at the end of the day you beat uh, Ohio State in 2016 and you play them close but the the record is still one in what one in four in the last five years so uh, it's uh, it, it, it's a results-oriented game. It, you know, maybe that's not the, always the fair way to judge the programs, but at the end of the day, the results are are going to be what gets you into the playoff or close to the playoff, and we see how much of a boom that could be. Again, two years, uh, three years ago now, uh, they had this team buried by three possessions in Columbus with Ohio State fans booing their own team. Life was pretty good for Penn State in that moment. They couldn't hang on. We know what happened two years ago, how that ended. There's been a lot of painful moments. And look, it was so painful and emotional for James Franklin that it gave us the great to elite comment. And that bridge still goes through Columbus to get there. This year, Ohio State comes to Happy Valley. I sure would love to think about that whiteout game and, and, and what a festival of football that moment is. Still can't really wrap my head around how that's going to go down this October in 2020 with all that we're dealing with. But you look at that October schedule, by the way, if they get through that game and they still don't have a loss, things are looking very good. October starts in Ann Arbor, where Penn State has not defeated Michigan uh, with with James Franklin leading the way. They come home, they play Iowa, they stay home for Ohio State. Uh, that's quite the, the trifecta in October. And by the way, October finishes on Halloween with a trip to Bloomington. Indiana has been a bit of a been a bit of a bugaboo for Penn State. They have not made things easy, and a couple of years ago it was very dicey on the road at Indiana. But Ohio State, of course, uh, that that is the one that everyone's trying to break through that brick wall in the Big Ten three straight years with a conference championship. But outside of Clemson, Sean is exactly right. No team has taken it to Ohio State, made them sweat the way Penn State has because. A lot of this has been, you know, full steam ahead for Ohio State. I do have to give a, some credit. Wisconsin uh, certainly made things difficult for an extended period in that Big Ten championship game last year, but uh, Penn State has has you know taken two possession leads into late portions of the contest in two of the last three years. Yes, they certainly have. Uh, uh, other than that, that prediction at the end, I think there was some good stuff in that Marcella article. The one that that really caught my eye, and I've been saying this for a while. I've talked to to some college coaches about this because it's it's going to be interesting to see the firing trends uh, with the buyouts and all the money that's at stake for coaches that you're paying not to uh, to to coach. 
with the budget shortfalls that are going to come out of this uh, this shutdown, uh, they're they're not going to have that cash cow. And, and and I know there's some spots where the boosters will reign supreme and raise the money that they need to raise. But you're going to see spots, you know, maybe like a Clay Helton at, at USC that you were thinking was probably going to get axed after this year. Now all of a sudden you, you're not willing to pay the the multi million dollar buyout. And I think that's going to really affect the job market in, in the next cycle. So um, I, will that affect Penn State? I don't think so. I mean, Franklin just signed that uh, that uh, contract extension, which you would think would take away. Away from the yearly drama that we've grown to know and love around these parts, um, but still, it's it, it's an interesting prospect uh, in terms of whether schools will be willing to, to to part with that money or just keep a coach around for an extra year and wait for it to go down. And additionally, what about the arms race that is assembling a staff? Does that money you know hit hit a hit a ceiling? Uh, does it go down a bit? The ability to go out and poach an offensive coordinator from somewhere else, the ability to prevent your guy from leaving, uh, maybe a case where the rich get richer and, and everybody else is kind of left dealing with with the situation. Uh, that seems to often be the case in college football and college athletics. Uh, let's get into our five star mailbag, Sean. We got a trio of questions picked here. Thanks. To everybody who's participated in this for the past few weeks we'll keep it going moving ahead go to apple Podcasts, drop your five-star rating and review throw your question in there throw two questions if you feel we'll do our best to get to at least one of them and uh, keep them coming we really appreciate that you can do it more than once so uh, if, you, if you got something else on your mind uh, bring it to apple podcast uh, let's start with one here from the valley uh, he says when a player enters the transfer portal is he open game to be contacted um, with our fingers on the pulse, is this an avenue the staff, and most importantly, James Franklin, likes to travel to fill possible needs? And wide receiver, maybe that's one of them. I mean, it, here, here's the thing about the portal. The portal has been around since uh, late 2018, and it's been brought, it, it was brought about to add transparency to the transfer process. And that's really kind of what it's done except it's exploded and blown up from there in terms of what uh, what what it's meant to be and what it is. So for the transfer portal, and, and we've been through the rules here, but you go to your compliance office. You, you don't go to the coaches. You go to your compliance office, um, fill out whatever you need to fill out to get into the transfer portal, and they have to put you into that transfer portal. That gets your name out there. So you've got coaches, you've got uh, you know ops guys and administration that that have these logins to this this portal. And it's a, it's a big database. I mean, there's all the sports are in there, so, uh, multiple levels. I mean, it's not just D1 football, D1 basketball and stuff, um, but uh, they get the opportunity to see who has popped up in the portal. So, if, you know, essentially if you're shopping for a, a defensive end, you, you can sort by whatever position that uh, player puts them in, you put uh, how many years, all that kind of stuff and see and see what's out there. And then, I mean, that that player is fair game. Like this co- this question says, um, you know, is... is um, is the open game to be contacted? Yeah, that's really what it does. I mean, that opens your um, opportunity to be contacted by other schools without bringing tampering into the game. So it's it, it- and without having to consult. I mean, obviously, you want to try to be transparent with the process, but you used to have to make that long march to your head football coach's office and say, "Hey, can I?" open up to other team now you don't even have to do that you can you can go right to the portal and say you know contact yeah we we, we talk always talked about the release you, you know your coach had to release you from your scholarship in order to talk to other schools and that's not you can't do that anymore you can't hold you can't bind a player um, to his scholarship if he wants to leave and that's you know it, it works both ways you can't you know you don't guarantee the scholarship is going to come if you are going to return if you decide to come back so and that's what we're 
seen at a couple of different schools. I mean, Damian Barber, once he announced that he was going into the portal, he's off. He was off the roster. So you're you're taking that uh, that approach if you're Penn State. Uh, saw the same with Justin Shorter last year, Ricky Slade. So. <laughs> Shorter cut three passes against Ohio State on a Saturday. I think that Wednesday he was no longer on the roster. Yep, that's uh, that's how it moves. And and honestly, you know, and, and we've had this conversation before that it's not that much different. I mean, you, the portal has publicized things. It's put things out there, and it's made uh, for for some good content. It's made for more conversation, but it really hasn't changed how you go about transferring. Uh, I think it's uh, it's up the numbers. I think that's a, a sudden uh, burst of numbers because people are are ultimately curious about what this process can mean. But we've also seen it the other way, that there's not a ton of scholarships laying, uh, laying on the other side of that fence. So it slowed down a bit. Um, you know, I think guys are, you know, making more decision, you know, more conscientious decisions about whether or not they want to be in there. So it hasn't changed the transfer game like people think it has, um, but it's still been, you know, sort of uh, an advocate for student athletes. And um, it's, it, it, I think it's worked in that measure. Uh, obviously, and this is something that, that Franklin says all the time, when we talk about instilling a new rule, we don't think about the the consequences that that come as a result of that rule. And I think that's what we're seeing right now with, uh, you know, with guys being left out and uh, really spots not being fi- or spots being filled and spots not being filled. So um, the, I guess, sexiness of the portal is sort of going away a little bit, but still that opportunity is there. And it's, and it's a good fallback for, for a lot of those guys that are just looking for a change of scenery. Interesting note here. I just looked up from Chris Hummer, who who is you know really dives into the details a lot for twenty four seven sports on the transfer portal, uh, how things are trending in that initial eighteen nineteen sample size. Uh, f- about forty six percent of players who entered the transfer portal out of the FBS ended up out ended up landing lower than the FBS. So that's that's a that's a major chunk, and, and there's a lot of players who in this situation. Uh, you're just wondering, you know, football season, we're talking about countdown to football. Imagine a guy like Ricky Slade right now. He's got to figure out where he's trying to pursue a football field. And, and there's a lot that goes into it with this shutdown right now. And by the way, the mention of a wide receiver, could Penn State have had, had more of a kind of a opposite end of the spectrum approach last year? They initially were, were in on it with a five, former five-star recruit, George Campbell, uh, who was, who was leaving the Florida State Seminoles. He ended up with West Virginia ultimately. They instead go and find a Division II All-American in Weston Carr, who I think caught a couple passes in the season opener and may not have caught another pass for the rest of the year. Yeah, he, he played in, I think, three games last year. So that uh, obviously did not hit the way that they wanted to. They're, they're still salty about not getting George Campbell past admissions. So that's, uh, I don't know what kind of effect he would have had uh, at Penn State. Caught a, caught a few touchdowns for West Virginia last year. I think he caught on with a uh, free agent deal in the NFL. Um, tremendous athlete was always going to happen uh, somehow. We'll, I, I don't know that he sticks in the NFL. But yeah, it's been, uh, it's been really interesting to say. Receiver is an obvious, uh, you know, spot to look to because of what's not coming back, you know, more so than what, what is coming back. So you have an opportunity to get in there, but a lot of those guys are in that, uh, excuse me, in that transfer portal for a reason, uh, whether it be, you know, lack of production, looking to go home and all that stuff. I would think it would be more, um, you know, I, I think it would be in Penn State's interest to take a look, but they don't have the scholarships right now. We talked about Tariq Black a few times on the podcast, probably in the spring or, or something like that. He has landed at Texas, um, but yeah, just no scholarships right now. We mentioned they're at 86 for the year and you can't make that, uh, make that leap without having the room to work and they just don't have it right now. There was a kid, um, 
Jacob Harries at, at Virginia Military that uh, went into the portal. Penn State had some coaches that followed him. I think there was some some interest there, maybe as a walk-on that could turn into a scholarship, but that just never materialized. He ended up back at, at VMI. So um, it's uh, it, it, there's no right answer, and I don't think that's the way that you want to go to address this. Um, you know, you, you, we talked about Penn State, the you know the guys that could make an impact early, like a Keandre Lambert or a Parker Washington. Then you go the JUCO route, you take Norval Black. Um, you know, it's probably going to be one of those spots where you have to take your lumps and, and, and there is no quick fix. I look at the guys in the portal and nobody screams really game changer out of that group. And there's probably a reason for that. Yeah, it's been an interesting spot out receiver to watch with the transfer portal. We mentioned Weston Carr coming on board after the failure to, to get George Campbell on campus. And uh, the last couple of years, there have been a pair of Penn State receivers going out uh, in the transfer portal this time around, a former five-star in Justin Shorter, who goes to the Florida Gators, Mac Hippenhammer didn't really come together for him in any way here, a little baseball at Miami of Ohio. And then last off season, you had Juwan Johnson going out to Oregon, Brandon Polk put together a pretty nice season for himself at James Madison. They're both, uh, in the NFL now as, as, uh, undrafted free agents. Um, so yeah, it, it, that has been a pretty interesting position to, to monitor. Um, the other question here to get to Yakman 12, um, he says most analysts say the most uh, the most successful teams are the ones who get the four and five star recruits. Why does Penn State take so many three star recruits early instead of waiting on the four and five star recruits that they supposedly have a good shot at getting? Well, I That's feel like if to unf- I feel <laughs> like if they had taken a three star recruit early, they probably would have offered a guy like McMillan earlier. I mean, it's a little juxtaposed in some ways. Well, um, it's, it's, it's not juxtaposed. It's a complete black and white look at recruiting, which is exactly what recruiting is not. And it's just not, oh, you get all the four and five stars. I mean, great. Yeah. The, the stars do matter and you do eventually see that rise to the top, but that's, that's not really what you're going for. You have to, uh, trust your evaluation. I mean, it, it, the, the, this is the opposite argument of Allen Robinson was a three star. I mean, it's just, I mean, what, what, what do you do in this situation when you, when you view things through a black and white uh, spectrum, um, it's it's not going to get you very far. Now, you, you, you take your evaluation, you see if that guy, you think you, that guy can play there, you see how he fits in. And, and, and here's the thing. I mean, if, if they're all three stars to this staff, I mean, you know, if you're looking at a guy, legitimately looking at a guy and saying, okay, I, I think he's going to have a, a minimal impact, you're not taking him. I mean, that's, that's the thing that you're going to do. I mean, you, you come in, you develop guys. Some of them don't develop, uh, you know, three stars obviously have strength in numbers in terms of the NFL draft and in terms of development. But I mean, that's just, that's really not how that works. I mean, you just, you have to take your evaluation, trust your evaluation because there have been schools that have taken our evaluations. And, and I'll, I'll be the first to say, it. I mean, I, I don't know as much as, as a college football coach when I'm looking at a tape and saying, okay, this guy is going to have this level of impact. I mean, we've, we've had guys that are four and five stars that, you know, just really shouldn't have been there in the first place. And we don't know that until a couple of years after that. So I, I just think it's, it's an incredibly, uh, just sort of, uh, absolute way to look at things. And that's just not the way it goes with recruiting. I mean, you've got guys that you're taking as 17-year-olds projecting what they're going to look like at 20 and 21 years old. And it, and it's it's tough to do. It's There's a reason why a lot of these guys miss, uh, especially, you know, if you look at the five-star quarterback hit rate. I mean, the, the, those guys should be obvious, but it's not. Even when they have the tools and even when they have the the stats and when they have the tape and all that kind of stuff, it's just, it's, it's not how that works. And I think if you do want to get caught up in the ratings and rankings, a three-star 
in June or May may very well be a four-star on signing day. Tyler Elsden last year, Zariah Fisher last year, both of those guys were three stars when they committed to Penn State, ended up as four-star prospects. Um, I, I'm certainly reminded of Keaton Ellis a couple of years ago, uh, climbing about 500 spots in the rankings from the time he committed to Penn State to when he actually got to campus, and you saw the impact he made as a freshman. So those rankings do evolve. And so the, the fact that you would say, why are you taking so many three-star recruits early well, you may be ahead of the curve on a lot of these guys and, and, and as they develop. And I think additionally, we've said this before, a lot of these offers going out early for Penn State right now, are they all going to be four and five stars? No, they're not all going to be. It's That's just the way the odds are going to go. But you don't want to be the team that, that, that gets left behind. You don't want to be the, the team that when the kid thinks about you in the back of his in the back of his mind, he's, he's got something gnawing at him. Why didn't they offer me earlier? Why were they so late to the party? What, what's the deal there? You know, that, that all plays a role here too, I think. And you and you don't see a bunch of four and five stars shut out. I mean, that's the thing. You talk about waiting around for those guys. Um, you know, w- w- that's that's what they're doing. <laughs> they're waiting around for the guys on their board. I just, you know, some of that's a smaller board. Sometimes you miss. Sometimes you, uh, you know, you move on. But it's uh, it's really fascinating um, to see sort of just a black and white approach to it when that's that's really not the case. And you mentioned evaluations are always uh, evolving, and that's with us. That's with coaches. Uh, we talk about doing ranking updates during a pandemic with no camps or anything like that. And people, you know, yell stuff and throw stuff at us for, for doing that with quote unquote, no new information yet schools are going out and offering these kids at the same time. I mean, that's, you can't really have it both ways in that aspect. Schools are accepting commitments from players. They've never actually hosted on campus. So yeah, yeah there's, there's a lot going on right now. Um, yeah. So <laughs> no, it, and it's, and, and I don't want, I want to crap on the question. It, no. it is a legitimate, if, if you haven't followed recruiting much anymore, okay. Or if, and I think this is one of the things that has really, you know, hurt people following recruiting is, you do it on NCAA 14, you do it on the video game and you target all the four and five stars and then you get a lot of the four and five stars and that's how they develop. And those are the guys, those are the only guys that are good. You take a three star and, you know, he's not a, you know, he's not any good. That's not necessarily the case in real life. And I need to mention three star prospects don't view themselves often as three-star prospects. They are pissed off by their rankings or they tweet that they no longer are looking at rankings and yet they're probably looking every day. Yeah, three-star prospect. Yeah. So if, <laughs> if you're a, you know, a, a three-star prospect on your 24 seven profile, you're not thinking, Oh, I, I can't commit to this school yet. Cause there's a pecking order Unless that, unless that coaching staff is saying, you know, they're, they're not quite ready to move forward with the commitment. You're thinking you can commit to a school. And, and I think, you know, we're, we're talking about a case here where you know, if you were to turn away, say a Jeffrey Davis, uh, because you were hoping to get Tony Grimes at the end of the day, where does that leave you? How do you juggle that situation? And, and Jeffrey Davis is a great example. This is a guy that they had the, the, the notable information on they've had him in camp they've had they've been around him so they've, they've they have a feeling that he's a good fit in their program and you know maybe he's uh, a guy that never sees the field maybe he's an all-american you don't know i mean it's, that's about development that's about where where it stands a couple of years from now so um yeah i mean if, if you feel good enough and you feel the information and in your evaluation if you feel that that's in a spot where where that guy can help your team and, and let's be honest penn state's at a different spot than they were you know five years ago when it comes to taking guys and you I mean, 
<laughs> again, I, I don't feel like uh, I'm being very nice to these guys, but now you don't take a Corey Bolts. Now you don't take uh, a Robert Martin when, with the information that you have out there, with the uh, you know the appeal that you have out there to certain schools. So uh, the, I think if you wanted some momentum, you could reach out and get guys right now. They're not probably not guys that you're going to be happy with, but you could reach out and get guys right now. But you want to shoot for that level. They are shooting for that level. They're shooting for the Nolan Rucci. They're shooting for uh, the Derek Davis juniors and things like that. So I think that's really the, the what you're looking at when you take a look at this process outside of the black and white. Take You want the four and five stars. You don't want the three stars. Yeah. If you want 20 commitments when you wake up tomorrow in the Penn State class, that can happen. I just don't think you'll be happy with, with, with maybe the next eight guys who come on board in the next 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> and on the flip side, I mean, you, you take a look and people want us to rank these guys because of their offers. And that's not the case either. I mean, that's sort of the... Uh, the complete uh, 180 from from this argument is that okay, you know Alabama's offered 300 guys. You know Penn State's creeping up on 300 offers in the 2021 class. I mean, th- th- they just don't hold the weight that you would think when it goes into an evaluation. Because honestly, an offer has become a value an evaluation tool. It's become an opportunity for you to gauge interest. It's become an opportunity for you to collect data on whether or not you think that kid can fit. And that's just the direction that that has gone. And that's it's scary in one aspect when you think about how many um, uh, how many offers are actually out there and how many a- actually can be acted on, um, because there are going to be kids that you know eventually put that hat on and don't have that opportunity to actually call the coach and commit. So we've seen that uh, a couple of times as well. So it's it's fascinating from that aspect. There's so many moving parts in recruiting, and that's not just on the the public side, the, the, the spot that you and I do with the the articles and the coverage and all that kind of stuff. I mean that that happens internally as well. Well, you've you've been in a recruiting office, you know that. Yes, um, I, I want to note we we have another question here, but I do I'm aware that your office manager also uh, needs to take over very soon. Do we want to stash this producer? Yeah, yeah do yeah. we want to stash this one for for next or? Yeah, we're creeping up on an hour. Um, yeah. You know, we, we we do want you guys to to leave these questions, and it, it is one that we could probably talk about for fifteen minutes. And we we I don't, I don't have that kind of time. Like like I said, one of our executive producers uh, has a training today, and she needs me to uh, to to get off of here. So we're creeping up on an hour anyway. I think it's been a, a fairly uh, you know a fairly good show. So uh, I'm gonna sign off. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, please check us out on uh, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, but mostly Apple Podcasts. Leave that five star review and your question and we will get to it next time put that one in bold fairly good show that that's a great way to describe this this podcast well, I'm, a, I'm a pessimist <laughs> so that's that's where we're at I, mean, yeah. I don't like hearing my I, I can't believe everybody likes hearing my voice for an hour or your voice for an hour but hey here we are we got a uh one of the most popular podcasts in the 24 7 sports network because of you guys and we we're we are grateful for you guys listening yeah, and our executive producers you want to talk about hearing our voices for an hour. Uh, you've got two interns too, so that that adds to the party at the Fitz household. Actually, uh, pod- podcast day is their favorite day, so because they get to sit up in the, in the bedroom with mom and watch TV in the morning, and they're all oh, they're all about it. They they come over on just random days and say, "Dad, is it a podcast day?" <laughs> no, buddy, sorry, we're not we're not doing the TV today. So the, the podcast day is is well approved by two of the three upstairs in my house right now. Perfect. We've got another one coming up later in the week before. Before we get to that episode, we will be in communication with a couple Penn State players, PJ Mustafer, Sean Clifford, going to be on virtual press conferences this week. So some feedback there, the latest on recruiting, stay informed on lines247.com, 30% off an annual membership right now, $1 for one month if you want to check it out. 
We will talk to you soon. On behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue. You've been listening to the Lions 24-7 podcast. Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.